We're gonna open our Bibles to Luke 9, verse 23. Come on, somebody. Get ready for some honey. <laughs> Luke 9, 23. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself. He wasn't saying hate yourself. He was saying deny what you want and take what I want. Let, let your will yield to my will. Like in when you're driving and there's a yield sign, you're yielding to the oncoming traffic. God's saying, yield to my signs, yield to my way, yield to my will. And he says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The message version puts it like this. If anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead, you're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself. Our junior high pastor said it like this, uh, following Jesus is not about self-advancement but self-abandonment. I thought that was really good. What good would it do to get everything you want but lose you, the real you? And Jesus says this, if any of you is embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading you, know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all of his splendor in company with the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky, by and by. And what Jesus was saying is this isn't gonna be an easy, comfortable, convenient path. The Via Della Rosa was a road of suffering. It was a path that was uncomfortable and inconvenient. But Jesus was saying, we're not here to fulfill our comfort. We're here to fulfill our calling. I didn't put you on earth to do something comfortable. I put you on earth to do your calling, to walk and become the man, the woman of God that you're called to be. And Jesus went to the cross. He died for you and for me, not just to be forgiven, but that we would find our identity in Christ and we would become who he's called us to be. Lord, I thank you this morning that you speak. Do what you wanna do over the next few minutes. Have your way in this service. Direct it, God. Speak to all of us. Let our hearts be open. And let's say this victory confession together. We're gonna put it on the screen. If you're new to victory, join in with us or just watch us say it if you want to. But let's say it together on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open, my mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. All right, give somebody a high five in this place as you're being seated. Via Della Rosa. How many of you guys remember uh, about 20 years ago? Uh, those of you who, who were alive 20 years ago, I think that's a lot of you in here. But uh, back in the early 90s, there was a fad that started, and it was put on bracelets. And it said the, the, uh, the letters WWJD. How many of you guys remember that? 
All right, so this morning, I want to take us back a little bit, do a little throwback. I got my WWJD bracelet in the house. Come on, 90s. Come on, 90s. But, you know, I was thinking about it, and, and this whole last week, I couldn't get this phrase out of my head. How many of you guys know what WWJD stands for? What would Jesus do? It's not what would Jordan do. What would Jesus do? Not what would Justin do. What would Jesus do? And... Uh, Basically, the, the bracelets got started from a youth group in Michigan that were challenging their teenagers that in every decision, they would ask this question, what would Jesus do here? What would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus respond? What would Jesus say? And, uh, and, and so athletes wore these, famous musicians wore these, celebrities wore these, but over time, they stopped being worn. The, the bracelets kind of went out of fashion, and so people stopped wearing them, and now people, I mean, you still see people wearing cross necklaces, and it's kind of a reminder of what Jesus did. But the point of the question was not about wearing the bracelet. Just like a ring doesn't make you a faithful spouse, a bracelet doesn't make you a better Christian. A cross necklace, a, a Christian bumper sticker, a Christian t-shirt doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. The truth is, it's the heart behind the bracelet. It's the question that we ask ourselves on a daily basis. This week, somebody asked me, Paul, what would you do in this situation? Pastor Paul, what would you do in this situation? And I thought about it because that question comes up a lot. What would you do here? What, how would you respond to this? What, what would you say in this situation? What, would you respond? Would you send an email back like that? And I thought, you know what? I'm not really the standard. And you know, even though I'm the pastor, I'm not the standard. Ultimately, Jesus is the standard. It's not what would Paul do. It's not WWPD. It's WWJD. But what we've done in our culture is we've tried to make an easier target. We've tried to make something more attainable and more tangible. And so instead of saying WWJD, we've replaced that J with somebody in our life. Somebody that we think, you know, I could, I could do that if he does that. Then I, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. I even heard one person say we should get bracelets uh, uh, that say WWPBJD. That's a mouthful. But basically they were saying, what would Pastor Billy Joe do if he was here? And uh, I was like, you know what he would do? He would get up on stage and say, let's all look to Jesus instead of Billy Joe. Uh, let's all look to Jesus instead of your favorite pastor or your favorite celebrity or your favorite Christian uh, athlete. That ultimately, Jesus is the standard. If you're taking notes today, that's a great quote to write down. Jesus is the standard. Jesus. What Jesus was saying to his disciples was, if, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to let me lead. In every decision, you're going to have to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Denying yourself is not about hating yourself. It's about shifting the focus off of what I want and onto what does God want. Carrying the cross, and this is crazy, in the Philippines every year, 10 young Philippine men will actually be nailed to a cross on Easter. On Easter, they will reenact the crucifixion and literally have someone put nails through their feet and nails through their hands. Ten guys in the Philippines will do this. In their minds that they're uh, reenacting, that's not what Jesus meant when he said take up your cross. He didn't mean go and crucify physically yourself. Jesus already did that. He already paid the price so that we wouldn't have to do that. But what Jesus did say is that now it's time to let me lead. Carrying the cross means that on a daily basis, if I'm gonna call myself a Christian, I'm going to let Jesus lead my decisions. I'm going to filter everything that I do or say with the question, what would Jesus do? 
Now, here's the problem, that when we hear this message, we go, man, I really, I, I hope my spouse is listening to this right now. I hope my kids, I hope my parents, I hope my coworkers, if I could just get them the CD. And what we do is we throw this message in people's face, right? When, when someone's mistreating us, we're like, what would Jesus do, you know? What would Jesus say, honey? Come on, would Jesus say that? And that's, it's like we're using the message as a gavel of judgment to try and tell people how to treat us. This message is not for that. This message is for you. Take the finger, point it at you, look in the mirror. This is for you to digest. This is not for you to throw at your kids, throw at your parents, throw at your spouse, throw at your Christian boss. You are not to do that. What you need to do, what I need to do, what we all need to do is go, Lord, I'm gonna focus on me walking this out. It's a lot easier for us to focus on other people walking this out. It's a lot harder for us to focus on us walking this out. But if you will work on you, God will work on him. God will work on your roommates. God will work on your boyfriend. God will work on your girlfriend. If you'll focus on living like Jesus, that's the goal. The goal is to live like Jesus. Here's the good news. When we start asking ourselves this question in living like a disciple, taking up the cross, letting Jesus lead, living with that mindset, what would Jesus do? It sets us free from what would people think. When you start living for what would Jesus do, you stop caring about what would people think. I met a girl who God had spoken to her to be a missionary and, and called her to go to Bible school. Well, her parents were incredible business people. And they were totally expecting her to take on the family business. And she had become an adult, and now she was, you know, old enough to make decisions for herself. And her parents were pressuring her, don't do that Bible school stuff. Don't be a missionary. And, and they believed in Jesus. They weren't like bad Christians. It's just that they wanted to control the trajectory of her life. And she was torn. She came and, and talked with me and Ashley saying, I, I don't know what to do. And ultimately, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, it might even cost you letting down even your family members, letting down the people around you that are pressuring you to be in control of your life. When you live for what would Jesus do, you stop being in bondage to the fear of man, the fear of what will people think. You know, God's called me to do some things in my life that maybe in people's eyes would be unimpressive or not that great. But at the end of the day, it doesn't, I, my goal is not to impress you. My, my goal is to obey Jesus. I've preached some sermons that God called me to preach that offended some people. And one time I preached a message and afterwards I had some people come up and go, why did you preach that? And instead of being bold and saying, because it's in the Bible and God told me to. Instead, I caved in to their, 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 their pressure and the fear of man overwhelmed me. And I apologized for preaching the word. And that night I got home and I was talking to God about this. And I was torn and I, I, I was convicted. And I go, God, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I let the fear of man, I let the fear of man become more important than doing what you've asked me to do. Never again will I apologize for obeying you. Never again will I apologize for preaching the word. This message is offensive. The cross is offensive. It's not going to make everybody happy. There are things that God might ask you to do that might tick some people off. But at the end of the day, WWJD sets you free from WWPT. What would people think? All right, I had to think about it. <laughs> the other thing that it sets you free from is WWIL. What would I like? What would I like to do here? 
What, 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 would, what would I enjoy? What would make me happy? See, a lot of us are living like this. We are making decisions on happiness. We are on this quest to do what feels comfortable, to do what's enjoyable. The path that Jesus calls us on, Matthew 7, verse 13, says, wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Broad is the road. The highway to hell is big, and lots of people find it easy to go down. And then he goes on to verse 14. He says, narrow is the gate. Difficult is the path that leads to life. And there are few people who find it. I want to be part of the few. Anybody else want to be part of the few? And this is the stuff that sometimes we're afraid to tell new Christians or people that we want them to accept Christ. It's almost like we want to only tell them the good parts. Like, hey, this is going to be easy. It's going to be awesome. You're always going to have favor. It's going to be incredible. You'll never go through any struggles. But I'm telling you, it's better to set people up for the reality that following Jesus is not going to be easy. Because once we understand that and we swallow that, what we're able to realize is even though it's not easy, oh boy, is it worth it. It is worth it. I would rather carry the cross down a difficult path following Jesus, denying my flesh, than get everything I want in the world and lose my soul. You could take every drug you want, have as much sex as you want with as many people as you want, drink as many uh, drinks as you want, go to as many parties as you want, but at the end of it all, you are emptier, you are lonelier, you are hungrier, and there is no reward for doing what you want to do. At the cross, I find my life. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Bonhoeffer said following Jesus is an invitation to die on the inside so that you can truly live on the outside. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to come into the submission and the will of him being in the driver's seat on a daily, hourly basis before you send that email, before you react to that person, before you get angry at your roommates, before you yell at your mom, before you hit that person who hits you, you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would you, if somebody slapped Jesus in the face, oh, Jesus would give him a punch back. No, Jesus would turn the other cheek. If somebody sued Jesus and, and forced Jesus to go a mile with them down a path that was terrible, he would go another mile. He would give him his cloak. If somebody betrayed Jesus like people have betrayed me, I've had people betray me and hurt me and, and break me and beat me, what would Jesus do? What did he do to Judas? What did he do to the Roman soldiers? And, and, and it's painful for us to realize that the cross is offensive. It really is. It's an upside down way to live. Because the world says, do what you want to do. Do what feels good. Did you know there's an actual Bible that says, do what feels good? Do what you want to do. There is a Bible that actually says those words. It's the satanic Bible. <laughs> I found out this week, I was studying for this message, and, and, and I realized Satanists actually have churches. They have churches. And Satanists will gather together, and they have a book called the satanic Bible. And the premise, the foundation of their Bible is do whatever you want to do even if it goes against all of God's commandments. 
lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, murder, uh, 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 don't treat your body right, uh, 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 disrespect your parents, do whatever you want to do. That's the premise of the satanic Bible. Today, we call it moral relativism. We've lost our moral compass. We, we, what we do is, hey, if it's right for you, it's right for you. It may not be right for me, but it's right for you. I don't want to be offensive, so I'm not going to put down your standards. And, and if you guys like to do that, that's fine. I like to do this because he, this guy, this girl, I mean, they do it. They're a Christian. And, and we've thrown the standard out. We've thrown Jesus out because we're afraid to put this target that seems impossible and unattainable. But here's the good news. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God looks at you and he doesn't see you. He sees the righteousness of God. He actually sees Jesus in you. So when we miss it, and we will, how many this week have missed the mark a little bit? Anybody gotten impatient this week? Anybody had an angry thought? <laughs> Last week, we talked about moving from religion to relationship. The good news is when you move from religion to relationship, you, you get to stop pretending. You get to move from hypocrisy to honesty. And so as your pastor, I get to be honest with you today. <laughs> This last week, man, I got upset at my wife, and, uh, and I had to surrender to God. I was getting frustrated, and, and we were learning how to, you know, discipline our kids and, and, and do the right stuff, and I got upset. I got frustrated, and I had to yield to the Holy Spirit. I said, God, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry, and uh, I, I apologize for my impatience, but you know what? I don't make a mistake and go, I'm going to lower the standard. I'm going to find another husband that meets my target of what a husband should be. No, I keep the standard Jesus. Even when I miss it, I keep the standard Jesus. Even when I get impatient, even when you blow up at somebody, get angry, repent, but don't lower the standard. Don't go, I can't get to Jesus. I'll never get to Jesus. I might as well stay down here. No, repent, receive forgiveness, and keep looking to the cross and going, Jesus, you're my standard. In you, I find righteousness. In you, I find the grace that I need to be the Christian you've called me to be in my workplace, in my private life, and in my public life. I heard this story from Chuck Swindoll. It was a great story. He talked about a youth pastor in Chicago who gathered his youth group to go on a mission trip down to Florida. That sounds like a good place for a mission trip. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> the beach. But he gets all of his teens together, and he says, we're going to go do ministry. And the night before the mission trip, they're getting, about to get on the bus. And before they get on the bus, he's got two pieces of lumber. And he takes a hammer and a nail, and he nails together a cross. And he lifts the cross up to his teens, and he says, I don't want you to forget the reason why we're going on this mission trip. He says, our whole purpose for this trip is to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, to lift up the cross, the message of the cross, the emphasis of the cross, the Christ of the cross. So we're going to take this cross everywhere we go. The teens rolled their eyes, they laughed, and they, they did what he asked them to do. They took the cross and they dragged it onto the bus, banging back and forth against the aisles all the way to Florida. It went with them into restaurants. It stayed with them overnight, wherever they stayed. It stood in the sand while they ministered on the beach. They carried it down the, the sidewalks, wherever they would go. At first, lugging this cross around embarrassed these teens. But later, it became a point of identification. The cross was a constant, silent reminder of who they were and why they had come. They eventually regarded carrying the cross as an honor and a privilege. They would fight for whose turn it was to carry the cross. It's my turn to carry the cross. It's staying in my room tonight. No, it's staying in my room. And they would, 
they would take this honor and this privilege of who got to hold the cross. The night before they went home, the youth pastor gave each teenager two nails. He told them, if you want to follow Jesus and commit your life for what the cross stands for, you can hammer one nail into the cross and keep the other nail with you for as long as you live. As a reminder, one by one, the teens drove the nail into the cross, taking the other one and putting it in their pocket. Fifteen years later, one of those teenagers was a wealthy stockbroker. He called the youth pastor in tears. The youth pastor didn't recognize his voice at first. He said, 15 years ago, I still remember what you told us on the beach. He said, I have the nail in my top desk drawer in my office. Whenever I lose my sense of focus, I pull the nail out and I remember the cross on the beach of Florida. It reminds me of what's at the core of my life, my commitment to Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about each of us in this room. We all have different platforms. Some of you are insurance salesmen. Some of you are moms, stay-at-home moms. Some of you are stay-at-home dads. Some of you right now are coaches or teachers or principals or maybe you're working in the marketplace. You're a businessman. You're a salesperson. Ultimately, our job is not to just make money. Our job is not to just find something to do with our hands. Our job is to point people to Jesus, to carry our cross into every sphere of influence that we have, to say in every situation, in the business place, at home, with the kids, with our spouse, when no one's watching, to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? It's not meant to be a fad that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's a timeless truth. That question didn't start in the 90s. That question began 2,000 years ago when Paul told people, imitate Christ. Before you do anything, ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? I want the band to come up, but I want us to think about that thought. A.W. Tozer, a famous theologian, he said, people who've taken up the cross, people who've decided to deny their flesh, People who've decided to live with what would Jesus do, they have distinct marks in their life. He said, first of all, they only face one direction. I love that. They only face one direction. The cross before me, the world behind me. They only face the direction of obeying Jesus. He said, secondly, they never can turn back. People who've truly decided to follow Jesus, there is no turning back. There's no prenuptials. There's no, if this doesn't work out, I've got a way out. I've got a plan B. If you make me upset or this gets uncomfortable or I feel like I stopped loving you, I can go and get out of this thing. No. When you decide to follow Jesus, there's no prenup. It's all in. It's burn the ships. I'm here to stay. The cross before me. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He said, lastly, they're distinguished by this mark of realizing they no longer have plans of their own. They no longer have plans of their own. They're submitted to Christ. We've lost what the word submission means. It's gotten distorted in our culture. It's been used in lots of weird, perverted ways. But submission to Christ means that I'm going to let God lead the decisions in my life, the small ones and the big ones. My responses to people, my reactions in situations. And when I miss it, I'm going to be quick to repent and I'm going to keep the standard Jesus, always only Jesus. 
I think there's four things we can take from this word this week that we can apply, that all of us, regardless of whether you come down to this altar call or not, all of us in this room can go, I need to walk this out this week. I need to walk this out this week. First of all, people who live with this mindset of what would Jesus do are people who've taken up the cross and people who've decided Jesus is, is, is worth following. And so the first thing is we serve. What would Jesus do? He would serve. To take up my cross and follow Jesus means I'm going to serve. That when I find myself in a situation and I don't know what to do and I want to call my pastor and say, what would you do? Or I want to call my dad and say, how would you respond to mom if she did this? Or I want to call my mom and say, how would you respond to dad? Or I want to call my coach or call my mentor. How about you call Jesus? Like we're so good at calling people here on earth that we, we've stopped looking in the Bible for direction. We think our compass is our pastor. And the only reason, and that's okay, it's not okay. We can't put pastor as the highest standard. We gotta put Jesus as the highest standard. And listen, I can preach the word to you, but you gotta learn to feed yourself. This word was given so that you would get into it and you would find direction for your life. And when you find yourself angry at someone or you find yourself uh, incapable of knowing what the answer is, that you would open up the Bibles. Open up the Bible, open up the pages. And you would go, okay, Ephesians, Romans, Acts, okay. Oh, Philippians, there's my answer. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, that I'm to have the mindset of a servant like Jesus Christ. You just found the answer. And you didn't have to call anyone. I'm giving you some help. I'm going to save you lots of counseling money and lots of phone calls that you could spend trying to find the answer. Get in the Word of God. You know what Jesus did when he found himself in the room and he was the head of the house? And John 13, it dawns on him. He's the most influential man in the room. How does he leverage his influence? He's got the most power in the room. It's not even the owner of the house that carries the highest influence. Jesus walks in and suddenly he's the top dog. You know what he does? He gets on his knees and he gets a bowl of water and he gets a towel and he starts washing people's feet. What would Jesus do? He would serve. I'm preaching to me too. God, help me to be a servant. Help me, Lord Jesus, in every situation to find ways to serve. You gotta look for it. It doesn't come naturally. You gotta look for it. Serving flies in the face of selfishness. The cross is all about denying selfishness. So when we find ourselves in situations where we go, but this doesn't feel good for me. This isn't convenient for me. This isn't comfortable. And, just want to get out of here and I just, ugh, it feels like I'm dying on the inside. Good, maybe you do need to die on the inside so that you can truly live on the outside. Maybe something in you needs to die in that relationship so that you can truly be the man of God in that relationship. Maybe in your roommate situation, something really does need to die inside of you. Pride, envy, comparison, selfishness, the constant desire to want to please me? How about the constant desire to want to please Jesus? And it's a daily work. It's a process. It's, it's continually just going, God, what would you do here? Oh, you would serve. Okay. You know what John said when all of John's friends and followers were going, people are leaving your ministry and they're going to follow Jesus. John said, he must become greater and I must become less. He must increase and I must decrease. I'm here to serve God's will. He must increase and I must decrease. 
He must increase and we must decrease. Somebody's getting that right now. I just sense there's a husband, there's a wife, there's, there's a roommate, there's a single in the room, there's somebody who's going through some unjust treatment and all of a sudden it's dawning on you. He must increase, I must decrease. Number two, it means to forgive. To live like Jesus, to take up my cross and follow Jesus, it means to forgive. And you might say, well, Paul, how many times do we have to forgive someone who's hurt us? Can we cap it at seven? That's what Peter asked Jesus. After seven times, can I just divorce? Can I just leave? Can I just be done? Can I just get out of this? Can I get rid of these friends that frustrate me and offend me? Can I leave the church when I get offended after seven times? Is that the time for me to switch to another place? Or what, what do I get to do? When, when's, do we, when do we cap it here? And Jesus says, not seven times. I tell you, 70 times seven. Matthew 18, 22. He says, here's, here's the key to forgiveness. As long as you're breathing, keep forgiving. Inhale forgiveness. How many have been forgiven in this room by God? Anybody not been forgiven by God? Okay, I think all of us have. And if you haven't, today you can receive it because it's free. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. You just got to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. When we realize the debt that Jesus paid for us, it kind of dawns on us, why would I hold a debt against somebody else when I've been forgiven by such a big debt myself? It helps us to show forgiveness instead of holding things over people's head. Love holds no record of wrongs that we decide I'm going to forgive the people who've hurt me. But Paul, what if they've betrayed me? Forgive them for they know not what they've done. Forgive them in the middle of the action. Forgiveness doesn't make what they did okay. It's still not okay. But it sets you free from the poison of bitterness to put yourself in this place, in this prison of resentment. And you might say, well, Paul, I have a right to be angry. They weren't there for me when I needed them. They let me down. They betrayed me. They cheated on me. They hurt me. They said things that were so mean, and I don't know how to forgive them. And the truth is, forgiveness doesn't make what they did okay. Forgiveness allows you to release the poison, to say, okay, I choose to forgive him. I choose to forgive her. I choose to forgive them. I choose to forgive that company. I choose to forgive my boss. I choose to forgive my supervisor. I choose to forgive my teacher, my, my kid's teacher, my kid's coach. I choose to forgive whoever it was that's hurt me, that's offended my family. Third is to love. To take up my cross and follow Jesus is to love. To love all people. Jesus says, love God, love people. That's our goal. Our goal is not to impress people. Our goal is to love people. Our goal is not to impress man. Our goal is to obey God. And we do it by loving people. 1 Corinthians 13 said, if you had all the gifts in the world, you could speak in tongues and interpret the tongues and prophesy and have words of wisdom. And you had the gift of healing and you could heal people. And you had faith that could move mountains, but have not love. You're a clanging symbol. You are nothing without love. I am bankrupt without love. Paul said, three things remain at the end of the world, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Choose to love this week. The cross puts my desire to hate, my desire to be mean, my desire to get revenge, and it lifts up the desire, I'm gonna walk in love. Fourth right here, last point right here, to take up our cross and follow Jesus is to obey. To obey. 
Jesus spoke to God in the garden, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let's all say that together. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Obedience, it sums it all up, puts it all together. To obey is better than to sacrifice. To obey is better than to sing a worship song. To obey is better than even to, to give a few dollars in the plate. What good is it if we sing a song with our lips or we drop a few dollars in the offering plate, but our hearts are in complete rebellion towards God? God said, I desire inward obedience. Don't just clean the outside of the cup. Get the inside right. Yield to God. Surrender to God. My role model went to the cross for me. My role model was buried in a grave. My role model rose from the dead. And so my role model sets a model for me to follow. That I would obey God's will. God's more attracted to your surrender than he is your success. This last week I did an uh, event for pastor's kids, preacher's kids. God's been telling me to mentor and reach out to kids whose parents are in ministry. So I didn't announce it in church. I just put it on social media, and the event happened. There was 11 people who came, and I was really happy with those 11 people. We had great time conversating and praying and talking to each other, encouraging each other. Afterwards, someone said, how'd the event go? I said, it went good. How many people came? 11. And immediately on the inside when I said that, I felt like, oh, maybe it wasn't that successful. <laughs> maybe I was supposed to have, like, thousands of people there. Maybe I was supposed to have hundreds of people. I don't know. Maybe 11 is not that successful in, in man's eyes. But then I was checked and God said, but Paul, I'm more interested in your obedience than you looking impressive in the eyes of people. See, I would preach in this 11 a.m. service if only five people set their clocks forward and came to church. If only my wife was in here, I would preach because it's not about the numbers for me. I would do that Easter production with all my heart even if only one person got saved. Because for me, it's not about the numbers, it's about obeying God. Obedience is the key. And God is pleased. I think we've mixed up success. We think success is impressing people with big numbers. Success is obeying God's will for your life. If God calls you to be a missionary, if God calls you to do business, if God calls you to be a stay-at-home mom, success is not what people think about you. Success is obeying what God has asked you to do. Let's stand to our feet all over this room this morning and take up our cross and follow Jesus. If the only thing we get from today is that one question, what would Jesus do here? What would Jesus do in this situation? Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 1, arm yourselves with the same mind of Christ. Christ suffered for you. Prepare to suffer to have victory over sin. Peter, 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Can we throw it up on the screen real quick? 1 Peter 4, verse 1. I want you to read this. Verse 1. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There's some of us today, we've been holding on to comfort, convenience. We've been holding on to sin. Because it's easier to hold on to sin than to suffer to be free from sin. Any addict that's walked in freedom from that addiction knows it is a painful process going through rehab. I remember visiting a guy who was in rehab and he was shaking, he was crying, he was having withdrawals, he needed the syringes, he needed the drugs, he was asking for it, he wanted it so bad. 
but he was willing to go through the suffering to be free from the addiction. Today, that guy is totally free, hasn't gone back to the addiction, totally free from the drugs. But you know what he told me? For some of you in this room, maybe it's an overnight thing that all of a sudden you're just done with the sin. But for a lot of us, it is embracing that obedient suffering to go, I would rather obey Christ than please my flesh. I would rather yield this pornography addiction, this drug addiction, this sexual addiction, this pride, this unforgiveness, this uh, selfishness. I would rather go through with the cross, no matter how painful it is, to be free from the sin. Because on the other side, it is so worth it. There is a reward in this life and in the next. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you need to surrender to God, Maybe you've not been living with that mindset of what would Jesus do. Maybe you've been reacting in situations and you found yourself frustrated and, and you've been looking for a moral compass. You've been looking for direction on decisions today. You're yielding to God. You're saying, that's me. I need to yield to God in this relationship, in this business decision, in this relationship situation. Whatever it is, with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you need to surrender something to God today, I want you to lift your hand all over this room. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's disobedience to God. Maybe whatever it is, hands going up all over this room. Maybe you're here today and you need to take up your cross. You haven't been doing that. You've been complacent. You've, you've, you've substituted the cross for convenience. And today you're going, I need to come back to that path of following Jesus. If that's you, lift your hand up. Maybe you've been saved for 40 years. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you're here today and you're a prodigal son and you're saying, I'm coming back home. I want the cross. I want the cross. I want Jesus. With every hand that's raised and anyone today that needs to come to this altar, that needs to get right with God, I want you to step out from your seat. Every hand that was lifted up, take a bold step. Meet me down at this altar, all the way from the back. I saw hands back there. Come on down today. Just make that decision to say, I'm going all in. I'm going down to that altar today. The cross before me, the world behind me.